Welcome back to The Way, The Truth, and The Life. In lesson number eight, we looked at how everyone has sinned and therefore is in need of a Savior. Just as Jesus experienced the death, the burial, and the resurrection, we too can experience repentance, water baptism, and the infilling of God's Spirit to give us a new life and new birth. Now, repentance is an about face. It's turning away from sin, our own desires, and toward God and his desire. And then water baptism, as we see it in scripture, was done by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the Bible states that it is a part of our salvation, and it doth now also save us. And so if you missed that lesson, I definitely encourage you to go back and to listen to the eighth lesson before you move on to this lesson here that we're about to dive into here today. Um, as always, feel free to email us with any questions, and we will do our best to answer those questions. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, we're, Lord, starting to look at some of these very critical issues that pertain to us personally, and although everything else that we've looked at has led us to this point, help us to see with clarity what your word has for us as far as what you want to do and, and accomplish in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So is the Holy Spirit really for me? There's a lot of different beliefs about the Holy Spirit. When I say Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, interchangeable, one in the same. The Holy Ghost is not some new age thing that churches around these parts are doing today. It's not even something that was thought up by the disciples in the New Testament church. The Spirit of God filling his people was actually prophesied thousands and thousands of years ago in the Old Testament. Uh, look at Jeremiah. Because of Israel's disobedience and backsliding from God's intentions for his people, God's covenant with Israel had deteriorated into, at best, a ritualistic relationship that fell short of God's grace. Many Old Testament prophets would step on the scene. They would rail against the fact that Israel had cold hearts and they tried to get Israel to repent. They spelled doom and gloom with graphic detail, but then they also would hint, hey, a better day's coming. There's a better day on the horizon. And God wanted to revolutionize his relationship with his people. And so look at Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, because we're the bride of Christ, right? So it says, but this shall be the covenant that, notice, covenant language, God was a covenant God. And it says, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law, instead of in tables of stone, it says, in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. So he wanted something, his law to not just be on tables of stone, something that they followed out, out here, just, hey, here's the law written down. It was something he said, I want to put, put my commands inside of you in your, in your heart. And so Jeremiah prophesied that a new, test, or a new covenant was coming, not just to be written on a piece of paper. It was an inward work. And so Jeremiah's language anticipated the future infilling of the spirit that God's people would receive. Well, then there's a, a prophet, Joel. In the New Testament, when Peter was explaining what had happened to the disciples, which we're going to look at here shortly, um, in the upper room, Peter reminded them, he, he actually quoted this, this prophetic word from the Old Testament prophet Joel. 
in Joel 2, verse 28, it says, it shall come to pass afterward, meaning not yet, it's not here yet, but Joel in the Old Testament is saying, hey, there's a day coming, let me tell you what it's going to look like. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's huge, because back then, it wasn't, there wasn't any, any gender inclusivity, it wasn't, it wasn't, they didn't, they didn't value servants or anything like that, but now it says all flesh, it's young men, they didn't really value young men. It's going to be on your handmaidens. Your daughters are going to prophesy. And so he starts to talk about this. This is, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon everyone and also upon the servants and the handmaids. And so Joel's primary audience was the Old Testament covenant people of God. His prophecy, though, anticipated a new covenant, one where non-Jewish people, which are called Gentiles in the Bible. So if you're not of Jewish descent, you're a Gentile. And so... The Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. Well, then you move on more Old Testament prophets. Isaiah and Ezekiel come along. Look what, Ezekiel, look what Ezekiel says. He says, a new heart will I also give you, and a new spirit I will put where? Within you, being filled with the Spirit. And so all of these prophets are, are talking about the same thing. Hey, it's not here yet. That day's coming, but... When that comes, all people are going to get the Spirit. I'm going to write the law in your inward parts, and, and I'm going to put my Spirit within you. I'm going to take out the stony heart of flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then the, he comes out and says it, verse 27, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk after my statutes and keep my judgments and, and do them. And so God's Spirit was not just so like we could get a get out of jail free card, go to heaven or something. No, it was so that when I put my spirit in you, it's going to have my commands inside of you and help you to walk after that spirit, to be spirit-led. Because receiving the spirit's not God's only desire. It's that his people would be led by the spirit. And so um, then we see the prophet Isaiah talk about not only that we're going to get the spirit, but how we would receive the spirit, what to look for. And so he says in Isaiah 28, 11, with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest where, wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. And what a prophecy, not only about the fact God wants to give his people a spirit, that everyone would be receiving his spirit if they so desire, that it would be with stammering lips and another tongue, but there would also be a, a segment of people that just won't, wouldn't hear, wouldn't pay attention, wouldn't receive the word. And that's exactly what happened. But you look it forward, sometimes we don't think about prophets in the New Testament, but the first really prophet to step on the scene that paves the way for Jesus is John the Baptist. And look what Matthew 3.11 says, I indeed baptize you unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He, speaking of Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So a new day, a new era was coming of the Spirit of the Lord. God wasn't just going to dwell in the wings of the cherubim like he did in the Old Testament or uh, even just inside of a human body. He was actually going to dwell inside his people. This is not a new age thing. This is not something that was thought up in the 21st century. We're flying through this part, and I encourage you, if you feel like we're going too quickly, you could go back and watch this again or listen to this again. But I want you to see that for thousands of years, this was being anticipated. Prophets were all talking about God putting his spirit inside his people, all of his people. And so that's why in the New Testament, Paul writes to his first uh, letter to the Corinthian church in 619. He says, what? No, you not. He says, your body 
is the temple of the Holy Ghost. In the Old Testament, they were trying to build a tabernacle. And then later, King David, and his, he wants to build a temple. And, and then Solomon, his son, builds this ornate and elaborate temple. And God dwells in the tabernacle, and then he dwells in the temple. And so it was always about the building. And, and God's saying, no, 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 no. Your, your body, I want my people to be my temple. That's what his spirit indwelling us is. Well, then you look at Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his imminent departure. And in John 14, 16, it says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, capital C there, that he, am, he may abide with you how long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you. Jesus is talking to his followers. He's dwelling with you. Notice He's putting himself in the same sentence and thought as the Spirit. There's not Father, Son, and then Holy Spirit that are separate, co-equal, co-eternal beings. Jesus is saying, hey, the Spirit's coming. Right now, he's dwelling with you, but soon he's going to dwell in you. Notice, it had not happened yet. Joel prophesied about it. Isaiah and Ezekiel, they all talked about it, even John the Baptist. But it had not yet happened. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm with you. The Spirit's with you now, but one day... It's going to be in you. And I'm not going to leave you comfortless. They're a little stressed out. Think about it. They had given up what they had known. They walked away from occupations. They followed Christ. So Christ is saying, I'm getting ready to leave. They're like, whoa, what are you talking about? Getting ready to leave where? And so Jesus is trying to put them, hey, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. I'm with you now, but soon you're going to see my spirit will be in you yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. Again, death, burial, resurrection. The spirit is the resurrection portion. Death is repentance. Burial is buried with him in baptism. And now the repentance. Hey, because of my spirit dwelling in you, you're going to live too. At that day, you shall know I and my father, you are in me, and I in you. Again, I and my father are one. I'm with you right now, but the spirit's going to be dwelling in you. There's not a differentiation. It's a different manifestation of the same God. And so he's getting ready to say, hey, I, I am getting ready. I'm with you now, but you're, I'm going to be in you. And just in, in case they were like, well, wait, this is confusing. You might be watching this or listening to this going, well, what, what's he talking about? He clarifies a step further in verse 25. He said, these things I've spoken while being present with you. But the comforter, just in case you missed it, which is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I had said unto you. Hey, you're not, you might forget this, but don't forget. Otherwise, the Spirit's going to help you remember this day, this moment, that my Spirit is coming. Right now, I'm walking with you, there's, and you're going to be the temple, and you're going to see that my law will be written on your inward parts. This day was coming. It was always pointing to this moment. And so before Jesus was crucified, one of the Pharisees actually sneaks away at nighttime and comes to see him. This man's name was Nicodemus. He didn't want to come in the day. He didn't want anybody to think he's actually a friend or follower or believer in Jesus. It kind of would jeopardize his Pharisee position. And so he sneaks away at nighttime, and he comes to see Christ. And in John chapter 3, verse 3, we looked at this in our last lesson. Jesus says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This statement can obviously cause confusion to anyone. Well, 
born again? How do you get reborn? And so Nicodemus asks that question in verse 4. How can a man be born when he's old? Does he go into his mother's womb a second time? You know, looking for some clarity, and Jesus gives him just that clarity. In verse 5, he says, except a man is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So as we talked about in our last lesson, according to Bible, I don't care what denomination, just set that aside, just the Bible, we cannot enter the kingdom without being born of the water and the spirit. So we have got to make sure what's the water, what's the spirit. Last lesson, we looked all about the water. Now we're going to be looking at the spirit. Because why? Because this is huge. He says, except he, Jesus is giving the definition of being rebirth, reborn, born again, new birth, as being born of the water and spirit. And so uh, Jesus, Jesus says to Nicodemus, don't, don't be shocked by what I'm telling you. Why would that be? Because uh, the Pharisees, Nicodemus would have known the Old Testament writings as a Pharisee. And he would have been familiar with the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah, Joel, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. So when Jesus looks at him and says, marvel not that I'm telling you you need to be born again. He, he looks at him and says, why, why are you surprised by this, Nicodemus? Don't, don't be shocked by this. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the, of the Spirit. So he's telling them, don't be shocked by it. You, you know the writings. You know. We, why is he saying, marvel not? If this is the first time Nicodemus ever heard of this, Jesus wouldn't have said, marvel not. He's saying that because Nicodemus memorized Old Testament. He would have known the writings. He would have known the prophets, the law. And so you notice in verse 8, Jesus compares this being born again to a time where you hear the sound of wind blowing, but you can't tell where it's coming from. I don't believe the wind. I can't see the wind. Well, no, but I can see the effects of the wind. I can hear the wind. And so clearly Jesus is stating that when someone's born of the Spirit, there's going to be a sound because he says, hey, getting born of the Spirit, you know what? It's going to be like the wind. There's going to be a sound thereof. So right off the bat, as he's talking about being born again of water and Spirit, he's talking about the Spirit in the context of there will be a sound with that. He does not say or insinuate in any way that we're filled with the Spirit just because we believe. He says there's going to be a sound. We think about it when a baby's born. Let's not even talk about new birth or rebirth or being reborn or born again. Talk about just being born. I've, I have three children, and that is one of the most amazing things that you will ever experience when you're in an operating room uh, or, or just natural birth, and you, and, you're, and you hear that, ah, ah. Now, now, again, it quickly gets old after a few years, and you keep hearing it. But initially, when you know that 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 crying is, hey, there's new life, there's birth, there's, there's, this is wonderful. And so there's going to be a sound when someone's born again. Now, receiving the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is, is possibly the most important spiritual event that one will experience, possibly even the most thrilling spiritual event, if you've never had that happen. Now, there are many beliefs when it comes to the, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Some people will say, I'll just list a few of them, and there's, and there's more than this. This is not an all-encompassing list. But some will say, there's no such thing as God's Spirit. <laughs> now, we can eliminate that one right off the bat, because we're reading in the Bible all about the Spirit of God. So you can only say number one if you don't believe the Bible. So that, that's, that's a done deal. Number two, same thing. It's part of the Trinity. We cannot receive it. Well, he's talking about receive my Spirit. I'm going to put my Spirit in your own word parts. Again, 
There's too much scripture to argue that if, if, if you say you're a Bible believer. So now we look at the last four, three, four, five, and six. Three says, people will say you get this, the spirit the minute you believe. Uh, four is it's something that used to be around, but it's not anymore. Five, you get it when you speak in tongues, but it's a gift. It's not a requirement of salvation. It doesn't happen for everyone. It just happens for certain individuals. And then sixth, it's a gift for everyone since Acts chapter 2. And speaking in tongues is the evidence that you now have this promise of the Spirit. So we can eliminate those first two just because Scripture is so clear about those two things. But look at the last four. Remember the foundational theme of salvation that we've been looking through at throughout this study. Grace, faith, and obedience. Obedience has and always will be integral and critical for God's plan for our salvation. We have been looking at this with Noah and the ark, Abraham the circumcision. We've been looking at the, uh, in, Egypt, in Egypt, Israel with the blood in the doorpost. I mean, there has been so much where Cain and Abel, even way back then, Adam and Eve, hey, if you just, just, this is what I'm telling you to do, don't do it. Cain, if you do well, will that not be accepted? There's always been this theme. And so we should always realize that when faith is generated in our hearts, it will force us to or, or cause us to encourage us to, to go to the next step and say, well, what can I do with this faith? There's a process in salvation. After God's grace, the, the next step in salvation is, is faith. When the apostle Paul spoke to a Philippian jailer, look what he says in Acts 16, 16, 31. It says, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. A lot of people run with this verse. Leave that verse on the, on the screen, but we'll leave that on the screen for you, for you for a minute. But it, people will run with this. Hey, it just says believe and you're saved. There you go. Boom. Scripture. But that's the beginning point. It's not the ending point. Because if you read on from that passage, verse 32, 33, 34, all of a sudden they're getting baptized. They're responding. That's because believing. Believe what? Well, believing, now you go, now what's the next step? If I believe something, it's going to lead me to do something, to respond, to react. And so when we believe in Jesus and long to please him, natural things will follow that belief. Scripture talks about it, Mark 16, 17. And these things shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. And what does it say? They shall speak with new tongues. Speak in tongues. It's God's plan for every believer to receive his spirit. It's a supernatural experience that cannot fully be explained without actually experiencing it. Much like becoming a, a parent for the first time. You know, when people say, oh, it's amazing. Oh, you wait till you hear, you wait till you hold your baby for the first time. And I'm like, okay, cool. Sounds like great, sounds like a great experience. But nothing prepared me when I heard a cry and I held a living being for the first time that that God used, uh, that I was a part of creating. That's, um, that's amazing. And you hear this child cry, and you hold this baby, and you're going, I, I love this, this human being before I ever even met this human being. It's incredible. It, it, you can't put really words, and that's why I'm struggling to even put the words around it. And so, uh, so this is a supernatural experience that really you can't fully explain until you actually go through it and, and taste it. And so this is a promise from God to everyone who's willing to trust and obey. That's why in Acts 1.8 it says, you shall receive power. When? After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. It has not happened yet, but after it happens, you're going to have power. Power to do what? Be what? 
to be witnesses where in every single part of the known world that's still for us today well how do i know it's still for us today maybe it was just them back there because in acts 239 after the disciples received the holy spirit it says this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the lord our god shall call and he is still calling people today so this promise is not just for them it's for me for you and for any of us listening or watching and so you look at the outpouring of the spirit the gospel of luke ends with a brief snapshot of the last encounter between jesus and his disciples jesus just before jesus ascends into heaven after his resurrection he's on the mount of olives in luke 24 and he also reminded them that john the baptist had baptized with water but he says but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So wait here in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what John said was going to happen. Jesus starts his ministry, says it's going to happen. Now it's getting ready to happen. I mean, this is, we're coming to the climax of this whole situation where, wow, for years, hundreds and thousands of years, the, 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 the prophets were talking about this. We're, we're nearing the day. Imagine being one of those people. You're waiting in Jerusalem going, this is the promise. Sit tight. It's coming. And so about 100, at least 120 disciples in the bible it says 120 were gathered in that upper room at least 120 made their way from the mount of olives into jerusalem into an upper room to await that promise they're all gathered there and god says it's not only the disciples even jesus own mother mary who was a special lady but not somebody that we should be praying to she's not a deity she's a special woman but even mary needed the holy ghost so she's waiting there and now the moment arrives after the Feast of Pentecost, it says the, uh, the Feast of Pentecost is taking place in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, the New Testament church is born. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, Luke writes. And he says, it was what? As of a rushing mighty wind. Wait, whoa, isn't that exactly what jesus said it was going to be like when he talked to nicodemus earlier that we just looked at this is it's a beautiful symmetry here in this story this unfolding of god's spirit upon his people this gift of his spirit and so it says as a rushing mighty wind it filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire well that's interesting remember in the old testament when we looked at the tabernacle what was above the tabernacle when it said God would commune with between the wings of the cherubims with his people? What was the visible sign that showed his spirit was in that tent? It was a pillar of fire that said, hey, there's a pillar. My spirit's in that place. Now in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, he says, wait here. I believe that that probably was a literal manifestation that, you know what? They could say, wow, cloven tongues like this fire, but it sat upon each of them. It's not just in one tabernacle. It's upon each of them. Why? Because the spirit's not just in one tent anymore. Now it's in her and her and him and him and him and him. Wow. Because cloven tongues like his fire sat upon each of them. Why? Because my spirit's now in that place. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, how do we know that? How do we know for a fact? Because they began to speak in, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. This is the birth of the New Testament church. And so the Spirit, give, well, I don't know though, if, if I speak in tongues, I'm probably going to be the one speaking. You better believe it. The Spirit gave them the utterance. I can sit all night and go, think about how you're a really great person. I'm glad that we have technology so you can tune into this. But unless I utter the vocal cords and say the words, 
God can inspire me, but I still need to put the vocal cords behind it. God's going to touch you in such a marvelous way as you pray and you repent and you seek God, you long to have a relationship with him. You're going to feel his presence and power at some point, but you're never going to receive his spirit like this. Got to open that mouth because there's a sound like as of a rushing mighty wind and we speak in other tongues. It's very difficult to speak with our lips sealed. And so here they're speaking in tongues and and a crowd starts gathering around and the crowd represented a wide spectrum of Jews who collectively spoke a wide variety of languages. And they now just witnessed the disciples speaking in a number of languages. Now, when people receive the spirit today, I've heard incredible stories where someone's speaking a fluent language that they, they, they've never spoken before, but oftentimes it's not a known language. This, I believe, was an initial, um, initial miracle so that God could really show uh, just his power to all the nations that were gathered at that moment in that place. And so the, the crowd's reaction was mixed. Some were marveled and other people mocked. Peter stands up to help the audience understand the phenomena. In, in, in Acts 2.14, Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifts up his voice. He says, you men of Judea, all of you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known and hearken to my words. These are not drunken, as you suppose. That's just, it's the third hour of the day. Jewish time clock goes from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so it's 9 in the morning, which at that time, I guess people weren't getting drunk at very much at 9 in the morning. And if you've ever been around someone that's drunk, they don't wax more eloquent. Tend to go the other way. And so Peter stands up. He's like, listen, obviously people are accusing them of being drunk. They're speaking gibberish. He says, these aren't drunk like you're thinking. It's the third hour. That It's nine in the morning. But Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That's huge because people can make all the arguments they want in the world about, well, what about Joel? Well, I don't know if it's really God's spirit. And I don't know if Joel was really talking about that. Peter the one handpicked by God that says, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and hell, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And, and, and Jesus trusts Peter. And Peter stands up and says, I understand that what we just experienced was what Joel was prophesying about in the Old Testament. And he quotes Joel's prophecy. And so he's the one that, that, that sees that. And so now as he starts preaching, he preaches Jesus the whole rest of that Acts chapter 2, he's preaching them about Jesus. We crucified the Savior. The Savior of the world came. And they look, and obviously, like some of us have experienced that conviction that, oh, what can we do now? That Oh, God, he's drawing me right now. And so they ask a valid question that many of you have asked or maybe are asking. Okay, what, what are we supposed to do now? And that's exactly what they said. What should we do now? If all we have to do is believe and be saved, would not Peter have just said, hey, guys, you believe in Jesus? You're good. But Peter gives a very succinct answer when he says, what do you need to do? It's not earning your own salvation by responding. It is God's grace reaching out, faith responding positive or negative, mental assent, and now what am I going to do with that faith? What should we do? Peter says in verse 38, Acts 2, 38, he says, repent. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Very clear plan for salvation in the New Testament church. Repent. Be baptized. Wash those sins away in Jesus' name. 
and God's going to fill you with his spirit. And then he says, the promise is for you, your children, even as my, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. And so if, if Jesus trusted Peter to give him that kind of power, I'm going to trust Peter. Because he was the one that said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter, Jesus handpicked and hand trained. He trained Peter. So Peter gives this, and look at the response of the people. Acts 2.41, they gladly received his word. They received Peter's word. They were baptized. That same day, there were 3,000 souls added, and they continued in the apostles' doctrine. When I say I'm apostolic, it's not a man-made denomination. I'm saying I adhere to what the apostles, just like them. When you, adhere, when you follow the apostles' doctrine and theology and ideology and that I'm, I'm, I'm apostolic. I'm aligning with apostles' teaching. And people will say the book of Acts is, oh, that's just a book on history. Doubtful. There would have been a whole lot more genealogies and names of who begat who. Acts is not just a historical book. It is a theological book. It shows us how they took what they were trained to do and what did they do. So when I say I follow their teaching, what better book to start with than the Acts of the Apostles? So, so many people will just skip over that book and say it's not, a, it's not a theological book. It doesn't offer any salvation insight. I totally disagree. And so, some people will, might, will say, well, 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 it doesn't say, look, Acts 2.38, added to the soul. There were 3,000 souls. They were baptized. But it never says they spoke in tongues. Good point. That's why we have to understand context of the Bible. Read what happened before. Read what happens after. Remember, Chapter, line, and verse, that wasn't added till later to organize the scripture. It was, Luke was writing just one continuous writing. So let's go back earlier. Let's go, let's go later. And so some people, when they say this, I will say, well, let's look at context. Just like we read earlier, believe on the Lord and you're saved. Well, the question becomes, believe what? We'll read on. It's important that we look at this. In, the, in this particular passage, it says, they gladly received Peter's words. What were Peter's words? Well, we already looked at that. When they said, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I don't think the writer needs to go, oh, and by the way, three verses later, they went ahead and repented of their sins, were baptized in Jesus' name, and were filled with the Holy Ghost. It's kind of insinuated there. They followed his words. We just read what his words were. And so, so it's, I, dare I say, we have to use common sense somewhat, too. Look at another one of the, the acts of the apostles that we find. Philip was in Samaria. Philip was a New Testament preacher who preached Jesus Christ, the same message that Peter preached to the Samaritans. And God was doing amazing things in, in Acts 8 in Samaria, in Samaria. People were healed. Devils were being cast out. The city was filled with great joy. The Samaritans received Philip's message. They were baptized in, in Jesus' name, but they had not yet received the Holy Ghost. And then news starts getting to Jerusalem, kind of the headquarters of the apostles, that, that this was going on in Samaria, in this Gentile area. And so, um, so the apostles send Peter and John to go to investigate. Hey, what's going on? Let's send the big dogs in and see what they think. And so when they arrived... They prayed and said, well, let's pray that the Samaritans would receive the Holy Ghost. So Peter and John lay hands on the Samaritans, and guess what happens? Well, why would we be surprised? Joel and everybody says, all people 
handmaidens, servants, young men, everybody. It was going to be for everyone. So why would they not give it to the Samaritans? And we find in Acts 8.14, when the apostles were in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word, they send Peter and John, and they come down, pray for them. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. The Holy Ghost was not upon any of them. Only they were baptized. So Luke makes it a point to let us know. They hadn't received the Holy Ghost. They were only baptized. But when they laid their hands on them, guess what? They received the Holy Ghost. Because God's will is not for people to just repent and get baptized. There's always more. He wants to put his spirit inside of them. And the inward parts, right? Their law and their hearts. And so, and this is another instance, though, it can confuse them. Well, it never says they got spoken tongues. So how, how do we know that's the biblical method? Well, we do know it clearly says they received the Holy Ghost. Now, as a writer, I truly believe Luke did not feel the need to keep repeating himself. After all, they received it by speaking in tongues in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Why would it have changed? But just for argument's sake, hang tight. Let's dig deeper. When, when Philip had arrived at Samaria at first, a man named Simon was a witch. He bewitched the city. Scripture talks about this. He passed himself off as a great individual in the city believed his hype. Sometimes you shout something long enough, loud enough, and everybody starts to believe it. Simon responded to Philip's message. When Philip comes into the city, he starts preaching. Simon responds, and Simon gets baptized. But when Peter and John arrived, and there's more, baptism was great, but now Peter and John start laying hands, and now they're getting the Holy Ghost. Well, how do we know which manner they got the Holy Ghost? Well, my argument is just the same manner as they had been getting the Holy Ghost. But let's look at this. In Acts 18, 8, 18, it says, when Simon saw the laying on hands of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he starts offering money. Hey, get me that. I want some of that. Give me also this power, verse 19, that whoever I lay hands might receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said, thy money perishes with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, Luke does not tell us what indicated uh, how the people were filled with the Spirit, but something very obvious took place that Simon looks and says, that is powerful. I see a distinct, I hear something, I see something, and I want to have that power. If people get the Holy Ghost by just believing on Jesus and what he did from on Calvary, how did Simon know that there's something that transpired right there? What would make them want to buy this experience? He obviously saw and heard something that said, I want that. I want to be able to be a part of that. Then you look at another man, and Peter, he keeps ministering and traveling. Another man named Cornelius. Now, I want you to understand this. This was not just one-time events. That's why we're spending time on this. I want you to see that this has continued to happen throughout Scripture. Uh, a man named Cornelius was a Roman centurion stationed in Caesarea. He was a convert or at least a believer of God in Jewish faith, uh, of the, the God of Jewish faith. And so an angel instructs him in a vision, says, go send for a man named Peter, and he's going to tell you what, he need, what you need to do. Again, if we don't need to do anything, Peter would have said, you don't need to do anything, just believe on Jesus. But the angel says, go find Peter. He's going to tell you what you have to do. Doing is obeying. It's following through. And so we read about it in Acts 10.1. It tells us, introduces us to, uh, to Cornelius, the centurion. And look what it says about him. If there was anybody who did not need the spirit, who did not need to be baptized, it's this guy, if you're, if you're making that argument. It says he's a devout man, one that feared God with all his house. 
He gave alms to the poor. He prayed to God always. Already, he sounded like a better person than many of us. He's a good guy. But he sees in a vision, and an angel comes to him. And again, he says, hey, your prayers come up before God. You got God's attention. That's why when people say, well, how do you know about this message? What about this person over here? What about this person over here? God literally pulls Philip out of Samaria for a eunuch. He pulls Peter in a dream and gets him over to, to reach Cornelius and one man's family. God will do whatever he takes, whatever he needs to do to get a hold of someone who's hungry for him. And so he says, call Simon. He's going to tell you what to, what to do because we're called to be doers of the word. And so Peter shows up. He walks into this Gentile's house and he begins preaching a message to this man's family. And look what happens at the end of Acts 10. It says, when Peter yet spake these words, he wasn't even done speaking. The Holy Ghost fell on those who heard the word because there's power in the word of God. And they of the circumcision, that's the Jewish people who came with Peter, were astonished because that on the Gentiles now, now the Gentiles are getting the Holy Ghost. They're like, whoa, it took us a minute to get this. Now we got this. And now they're standing there astonished going, they're speaking in tongues. Well, how did they know though? Because, verse 46, they heard them speak with tongues. The same way it's been happening since Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, for the apostles, for Mary, the mother of Jesus, for the 120 gathered there, every single person from there on out is following Peter's word. So Peter's preaching. He would have stopped it if it wasn't from God. People will say, tongues are of the devil. Ah, come on. It says they, the sound came from heaven. And Peter doesn't stop anything because he knows that is the manifestation, the sign, the evidence that God's spirit is now inside of his people. They heard them speak with tongues. But notice now, sometimes people get baptized and then they get the Holy Ghost. Other times they get the Holy Ghost and then they get baptized. This is an instance where it was flipped around. The only thing we always need is repentance first. But now they're speaking in tongues. So then the, the, the Jewish people are going, the, those of us the circumcision are going, well, I guess. Can anybody forbid water? I mean, we might as well baptize them too because now they got the Holy Ghost. And so he commanded them to be baptized. How? What? In the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus Christ. And so we see the same experience here. Now, I know a lot of different beliefs are out there. Well, that's not, well, I don't think that's probably not a good, listen, the Bible says, clearly states to always follow what the apostles taught. So I'm reading you so many passages of the Acts of the Apostles because we are supposed to avoid anybody who teaches something different than what the Apostles taught. Look at Romans 16. Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they are that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by good works and fair words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Again, Paul states very similar things in Galatians 6. He says, I marvel. He had been telling that church, warning that church about following false doctrine. And he says, I marvel you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. He says, but though we, and Paul says, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you, 
let him be accursed. As we said before, say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye ha- that ye have received, let him be accursed. He was making it clear that the apostles' doctrine was handpicked, trained from Jesus himself, and anybody that says anything different, he says, avoid them, mark them, let them be accursed. That's strong language. And as the book of Acts progressed, Luke, the writer, switched his attention from Peter to Paul. Paul became the primary apostle to the Gentiles and traveled throughout Asia Minor and occasionally into Europe. On his third missionary journey, and we're not going to be much longer in this lesson, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And scripture tells us in Acts 19 that he met some of the disciples, the followers of John the Baptist. John's dead and gone at this point, but he he comes across some of his followers. His followers were still strong. And Acts 19 tells us about this. It says it came to pass while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper coast, finding certain disciples. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, if you get the Holy Ghost the minute you believe, that officially is one of the stupidest questions recorded in the Bible. If you, get, if you get the Holy Ghost, you believe, why would Paul ask that question? Would they be like, of course. But that's not the case. Paul says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They say, we haven't even heard about a Holy Ghost. Maybe you're watching or listening, you have never heard about the Holy Ghost. And so, read on, verse 3, it says, he said, well, how are you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. Oh, that's a pretty good baptism. But John, Paul says, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance. But now... There's one come after him named Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. When they heard this, obviously there was a message, a little teaching there. You talk about rebaptism. They they got rebaptized in Jesus' name. But that wasn't all that God had for them. When Paul laid his hands on them after being baptized, the Holy Ghost came upon them. How do we know? Because they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 people there. Paul preached the same message Peter preached. The same message that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. The same message Jesus prophesied about. The same message that believers were starting to experience all over the known world of that time. And the same message and promise that is for you and for me today. When you read these instances, some were Jews, some were Gentiles, some were followers of John, some were not. Some prophesied when they got the Holy Ghost, others did not. But one thing that was always the case when they received the Holy Spirit was that they spoke, all of them spoke with tongues. That's why Peter said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? He didn't ask, have you took up serpents since you believe? No, 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 no. That might be something that happened. Have you prophesied since you believe? That might be something that happened for some, but it was not a uniform across the board, everybody, one common denominator like speaking in tongues was. That was always the biblical evidence that God had filled his, that person with his spirit. Now, the, the biblical way to experience the spirit that Jesus told Nicodemus that's, people might say, that, that's, that's just you speaking. But no, yeah, of course you're going to, that new birth comes, that there's an evidence of new birth. There's a sound. And I need to speak that sound when the Spirit gives me the utterance. But why speaking in tongues seems so weird, so strange. It's really not. Speaking in tongues is the reversal of what took place in Babel. Sin caused the, the, the languages, like we talked about in the previous lesson, the languages to be dispersed and, and the people, to, the languages changed, the people were dispersed. Speaking in tongues, now God brings a universal language back to his people, to his body, to his bride. And James 3.8 says, the tongue can no man tame. 
It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Isn't it just like our God, Jesus Christ, to say, I'm going to take the most untamable part of the human body, and if they will have faith in me and obey my plan, I'm going to use that to glorify myself. And so the Holy Ghost helps us to pray for things we don't even understand. Acts eight, or Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That Spirit is a prayer language. It's not just initial evidence. And just like Paul said to the Corinthian church, we need to pray in the Spirit, and we need to pray in our known language too. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul said, I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I'm going to pray with understanding. I will sing in the Spirit and sing with understanding. And that's why Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Peter spoke in tongues. Paul spoke in tongues. Philip was speaking in tongues and teaching others to do the same. The apostles definitely lived this way. And the promise is still for you too. The Holy Ghost is like a birth certificate for our new birth. It says we are heirs to the promises of God, Romans 8, 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit, he is none of his. That's strong language. I want to be born into the body of Christ. I want to be a child of God. And the scripture is saying that the spirit is a pretty key component of that. Now, every man or woman from every denomination should be spiritual. I think everybody can agree with that. If any spiritual leader, if they're leading any type of denominational organization, church, they should be spiritual. Look at this last passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 37 to 39. If any man thinketh, think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write unto you. I have a commandment of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Listen, if you are a Bible believer and you want that same experience that they experienced in the book of Acts, Peter, Paul, all the, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, Philip, all of them, you can have that spirit of God. If you would just repent of your sins, you could be baptized in his name. God will put his spirit inside you in your inward parts just as he always intended to do. And there's going to be evidence, a sign that you've received it as you worship him. You're going to speak in other tongues. That's the Bible. That's what we find throughout Scripture.